Welcome to Sparkplug, where we talk to smart people working at the intersection of business and technology. Brought to you by Snowshoe, your smarter loyalty leader. Today, Sparkplug is happy to welcome Tommy Unolis to the podcast. Tommy is the founder of Ops Analytica, a mobile operations data capture, accountability management, and analytics platform focused on the food service industry. Drawing from his extensive career in food industry management, including at P.F. Chang's and Quiznos, Tommy developed the Ops Analytica platform to help businesses manage their daily operations and identify issues before they affect sales, profits, and customer satisfaction. We're looking forward to hearing much more about this platform, so welcome, Tommy. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Very excited to have you here. Well, let's start off with hearing a little bit more about your career background. You've had a long career as a manager and leader in the service industries, both in food service and concierge service. Do you have an overall approach or philosophy to how to provide great service to customers? Yeah, actually, no one ever talks about the concierge stuff, but I was so proud of that because we worked so hard and we won this big Wall Street Journal award. Well, first of all, I do think it is a little bit of a personality type. I think there's certain people that are drawn to the service industry. Both my grandfathers were immigrants and they both owned restaurants, but then my parents saw that and were like, nah, we don't want to do that. They went into tech. But then that gene hit me. So where my dad was a mathematician and a rocket scientist and my mom was a coder, for whatever reason, that gene skipped them, but hit me. And I, from 14 on, was like, I don't know. I want to cook. I want to be in the service industry. It just felt natural to me personally. So I do think it's a little bit of a personality type. The best service providers are innately caregivers or something to that effect. I don't really know what personality type it would be. But then I think too, you get... Get yourself into the mindset of being of service to you feeds me. So I'm not subservient, I guess wouldn't be the way to put it, but my job is to provide great service. And when I provide great service, I'm doing a great job and that's something I can be proud of. And I think it's getting into a mindset similar to that because, you know, some people treat service people really badly. There are jerky people out there that yell at waiters and yell at concierge and get up in people's faces and are aggressive. And even when that's happening, and I'll tell you a funny story about this, but even when that's happening, a great true service person goes, Hey man, I'm going to do a great job. I'm going to try to turn this interaction around. I'm going to do a great job of delivering some service to this person. And I'm going to be able to walk away from this interaction, the bigger person. So I worked at the Grove in Los Angeles, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that place. It's this super fancy outdoor mall in the middle of Hollywood. And they shoot that Rivera, the entertainment show there, Entertainment Tonight or whatever. They shoot that at the Grove. It's right next to CBS Studios and the Farmer's Market. Super, all the rich Hollywood people come there. And when we first opened that mall, we were the concierges. And so we had a full concierge desk at a mall. And we literally booked plane reservations for people, did weird stuff that you would never think you would do at a mall, but it was Hollywood. But we were also the place you came if you had a problem. So one of our problems was the flush on the women's room toilets were too powerful and it would blow water all over the women that were in there. And we would get so many people coming out of that bathroom and just yelling 
at us about these bathrooms. And every day it was an opportunity to be that service oriented person and be like, I'm so sorry. And we would literally buy them clothes if they needed clothes. If their pants got wet or something, we'd be like, here, go to whatever store, buy a pair of pants. We'll pay for it. Just make this right for you. But it was such a crazy, weird thing to have that be a problem, right? Super flushing toilets. Nuts. Right. So just a question on the service industry. I know there's been a lot of change that happened during COVID. And one of the changes that I've heard about is changes in food service that some people have quit food service. Some people have said, we're going to change how we do our restaurant entirely. What changes have you seen? Well, this is the largest exodus from the service industry probably ever. When the shutdown started happening, a lot of restaurants closed their doors and a lot of those people that might've been on the fence about what they were gonna do, This was the straw that broke them to get out of the service industry. And the service industry has never been an easy job. Your back hurts, you're carrying heavy trays. If you're cooking, you're greasy, you're hot, and then you're touching people's food. And it's just never been an easy peasy job. But the people who are drawn to it are drawn to the fast cash in your pocket end of the day. They're drawn to the flexibility of it because for years I did stand-up comedy and waited tables and managed restaurants. And I would have never been able to survive those stand-up years had I not had my hospitality career to lean on because there was a period in 99 where I would go on the road for six weeks and then I'd come back and work three weeks worth of doubles and then I'd go back out on the road. If you have a day job, a regular job, you can't just do that. Now, that was back then. Today, I think you could. I think you could just work remote. And if I was doing stand-up again today, I'd be a totally different person because I'd literally be doing my day job today and just doing stand-up at night wherever I was. Some of the stories you've started to tell here remind <laughs> me of stories by Anthony Bourdain. He had this famous book, Kitchen Confidential. Yep. And I do sometimes wonder how much of what he talked about is true in the restaurant industry, that people have great highs and great lows. And our, <laughs> our, our sponsoring company works with a lot of small restaurants and small retailers. And it's a tough place to be. People are under a lot of pressure in the restaurant industry. Yeah, there's low margins. It's hard work. It's late nights. You're working when everyone's playing. So your friends are all going to the concert on Friday night and you're pulling a midnight shift. And so it is an industry that you have to change your life around to be a part of. You're not going to be doing that traditional nine to five Monday through Friday life in the hospitality industry because that's not when we're busy. But that's also why too, there's such a camaraderie between the people in the industry together. The people you wait tables with, you go out and have beers with afterward or you cook with. We all go to the same bar and hang out after work because nobody else is around to hang out with. And so you become these big disruptions functional families basically that go and hang out all the time because we're all on the same schedule. And I do think going back to your initial question, that's always been a harder lifestyle. And that's why people don't stay in it forever or they'll transition in a chain system. They might transition from the stores to corporate to get back to that more nine to five life for periods of time. Because if you have kids, you want to be home to see your kids. You don't want to be gone every night. It's just tough, but it's been a massive exodus since the beginning of COVID and people aren't coming back. And I think it's really up to the hospitality companies and the restaurant companies to utilize technology and the gig workers to rethink what it is to work in the hospitality industry Mm -hmm. so they can create a much better work-life balance for the people that are the backbone and the professionals and the 
business. Well, did you found Ops Analytica, your company, in order to make the restaurant industry a little bit more functional for people? <laughs> Absolutely. Our platform is a multi-unit operations platform. So what we really help people do is manage their daily operations, which is the grunt work of multi-unit businesses. Everybody wants to be on marketing and focusing on sales. But at the end of the day, it's those operations, those processes that an employee has to do every single shift to make sure they're safe, that they're ready, that they're clean, so that when the doors open up at whatever time they open up, we can maximize our sales opportunity for that day and take great care of our customers. And that can be in retail, dental, it doesn't matter, just big, large, multi-operational, multi-unit businesses. And that's what we really want to focus on because it's the grunt work that when it gets done, you have an amazing experience. You tell your friends and you come back and it's the grunt work that when it doesn't get done, you leave going, eh, that was just an okay experience. And then you're not as apt to come back. And then that business goes out of business if that happens for too long over time. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious, Tommy, you had this long career in the food industry before founding your business. And I believe right before Ops Analytica, you were a partner at Wevo. Yeah. So you developed this platform, this software for the food industry. And it looks like you had a little bit of experience in the tech field before Ops Analytica, but was that your introduction to tech? I know you mentioned that your parents yeah. were in tech. So my dad was a rocket scientist. He worked at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Labs, and he's actually in the Smithsonian. He was part of the mission where they crashed a satellite into an asteroid out in space, mm -hmm. the near missions. And he did all kinds of military stuff during the Cold War. And then my mom worked at Lockheed and IBM. So I had been around tech my whole life. I remember being in second or third grade and being sick. And my dad got this giant suitcase from work, and it was a typewriter terminal. And you took the phone handle and you stuck it in the back and he called a number and he could work from home. And he was always trying to code stuff for me. So we had a Commodore 64 and he coded all the games. And then he made me a Spanish to English vocab program when I was in high school. <laughs> So tech was around and it was always obviously very prevalent that my parents were good at it and that's what they did. But I wasn't in tech. I did hotel restaurant, stand-up comedy, where I also worked in hotel restaurant. And then at Quiznos, I basically built the predecessor to the Ops Analytica platform because I was tasked to basically report on all these audits we were doing. And I went to IT and they said, I can't help you. And then I tried to buy a platform in 2008, but we didn't have the money to do it. So I was like, I'm just going to have to code this myself. I got to figure it out. So I found a platform called Form Router and I went out and I coded up this form and I got with a SQL guy and he showed me how to download it into an Excel. And then I went from there. Then that changed my trajectory because at that point I was all restaurant ops. But I was like, this is really interesting. And a buddy from grad school had gotten hired off by Symantec because he was doing some stuff in the Semantic Partner channel. And he was like, dude, you just built that thing at Quiznos. My job's now open. Would you like to backfill my job at this company and do some more coding and learn this development language, if you will? And I was like, yeah, I kind of do. And he's like, now look, this company's going out of business. So who knows if it'll be here in five months, but 
at that time, Quiznos was going very bad too. So it was like, well, I can get laid off from Quiznos or I can go start this thing over here and see what happens. And then we ended up buying that company. We just did an earn out with the owners because it was consulting. So then we owned that company within four months and then we owned it. And in 2013, we rebuilt the Quiznos thing there. And then over the next two years, we got it into 18 restaurants on the East Coast. And then we were like, 2015 was coming up. And I was like, let's just start this company. I think this has some legs. So we got rid of Wevo and we started Ops Analytica. Right. And- you started by scratching your own itch, which is the yeah. way startups start. Right. Yep. And you founded this. So how do you serve clients today with the Ops Analytical platform? So we're growing. We're bootstrap startup. We started in 2015. We took our own cash from the last company that we had left in, the retained earnings. And me and my one partner, Eric, we founded Ops Analytica. And now we've got a two-person sales team. We're planning on adding more sales guys like in the next couple of weeks. And we have developers and we've got a whole business. And we're out there and we're working with large multi-location businesses. And we're starting to branch out of restaurants as well. We're getting into medical, grocery, we're in automotive. Anybody who's just got a lot of repeatable processes, a large footprint of locations, they can benefit from the data and the accountability and the visibility at the whole operations management side of their business by having some software there. Well, one thing we've seen in the software industry in general is this term called DevOps. Yeah. Being able to develop and operationally deploy and manage. So it's a combination of actual software development and then logistics management. Does this have any relationship to the kind of work that Ops Analytica is doing in the restaurant and retail industry? We employ DevOps to build our software and get it deployed, but we're not doing DevOps for the restaurant industry. We're mostly focused on operations. So if you think about our clients, these big multi-location operators, whether they're franchise or they own their own locations, they've got a footprint of thousands of locations across the country. In some cases, we're in 19 countries with one of our brands. So they've got all these locations out there and they need those locations to do certain things every single day, every single shift. And then above that, they need the guys that are responsible for them, like the district managers right above the locations, then the regional managers and all the VPs all the way up to corporate. Their whole business is making sure those locations are running well. And they're also capturing all the data they need from a compliance and a risk assessment perspective to make sure that corporate, everything's being handled okay, because they're going to be the one that gets the lawsuit of a location screws up. So our platform and enables the guy at the shift level to know exactly what he needs to do or she needs to do that afternoon at three o'clock on a Friday. And then it cascades up because all the data that's being collected at that location level is now informing the next level up of management. What do we need to do? Oh, we got to coach this guy on this aspect of his job or, hey, these guys aren't doing that stuff correctly. We're going to get fined. Portland and Seattle have crazy labor laws that are much stricter than you have in most places in the country. So I've got tons of companies that are just utilizing us to make sure their stores aren't screwing up and changing people's schedules and they're getting them posted on the right days so that they don't get fined by the cities. So it's a little bit of everything. There's just so many pieces that are going into managing these gigantic footprints and work the platform they choose to use to keep it all together. Does that make sense? Did I answer your question? I talked a lot to that (laughs) (laughs) Well, actually, Tommy, can you give us some examples of how you've seen your clients use your platform to improve their processes? 
Oh, yeah. So I'm going to go a little wonky in the data side of things, and then I'll just talk broader. What happens is most people have paper processes, and paper is the worst medium for holding anybody accountable in the world. So you'll get paper checklists or paper processes in a giant binder, or they get taped on the wall in the back office. Hey, you got to go do all these things. But the problem is when people utilize paper, they just don't do the stuff, and there's no consequence for not doing it because nobody can see that they didn't do it. And the other part of that is let's say they are doing it, which they're not, but let's just pretend they are. Then even if they are doing it, all that data is lost to you. It's just sitting on a piece of paper in a building and there's no easy way to get that into upper management or anybody's hands where they could actually utilize that data to figure something out. So just literally by taking the paper processes and getting them into the app and getting them on a tablet or a phone, you immediately start collecting data and you see what are people doing? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing? And then they start identifying problems that you didn't even know you had because you've never seen this data before. And that just starts flowing up the organization. So then what you generally see happen is a lot of our clients come to us and they want to do three or four daily operational checklists. You're opening, you're closing, your readiness, maybe a safety or a compliance inspection, something like that. They start with four and then six months later, they have a hundred because once corporate realizes what's going on and there's an easier way for us to collect data and hold these guys accountable and make sure they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, it just starts exploding and it's everything under the sun. It's getting ready for your next limited time marketing event or like I was talking about earlier, labor law compliance, or it's some companies that use us to do other deposits and cash outs, literally anything you can think of, it can be done in the system. And then it also makes it easier on the employees because they only have to go to one system to do everything. So there's no more survey monkey links and Google form links. And I'll just give you an example. There was an applesauce recall nationwide that hit fourth quarter of last year. And one of my clients, 750 unit chain all across the country, they were able to identify that the Northwest had a lot of applesauce that needed to be pulled on our platform before their food distributor even got back to them. They could see it on the map. Hey, we've got the Northwest has got a lot of applesauce. We got to get off the shelves. So it's those kinds of things that you just couldn't do before. They just exist for you now. It's pretty amazing, actually. Well, we were talking about the pandemic earlier and curious how some of your clients used your platform to help navigate through the pandemic. Sure. So when the pandemic hit, I was actually supposed to be in France that week and we kept going, we're going to France. This is stupid. And then on Sunday, it shut down. And I'm like, oh, this is bad. So then by the next week, that was the 13th is when the US shut down. By the 22nd, I had been doing research that entire 10 day period. I read everything the CDC had released. I was reading everything. So I came up with a COVID employee screening process. And I came up with several of them. So I had one for when you were at work at the back door, they could screen you. But then I also invented one where you could screen yourself at home using our app, take a photo of your thermometer and do your health and safety check before you even left your house. Because I just kept thinking about myself when I waited tables in Chicago and I waited tables in Santa Monica, the drive kills you. The parking kills you. It would be horrible to get all the way to the back door after you just dropped 20 bucks getting there in an hour to find out that you have to go right home again. That didn't feel fair. So I invented a COVID screening process and I invented a couple of risk assessments, especially based off the science at the beginning when we thought everything was being spread by touch and not so much by coughing. So I had risk assessments 
assessments that you could go do that people could use to go, okay, like I got to get rid of menus. Okay, we've got to change how this door works and go through the building and go, how are we going to change our business? Like not having plates and preset placemats on the table. You'll bring the plates and the spoons and everything to the table later in case somebody coughs while they're walking to their table. We don't want somebody else to get COVID, right? Trying to think through all that stuff. So we had all the COVID screens and everything like that. So we did specific COVID stuff and I've got millions and millions of rows of data on COVID screens. But then two of our bigger clients at the time, they gave us these quotes too, but they were like, man, if I didn't have Ops Analytica, I would have had to do this all on paper. And by the time the paper hit the stores, it would have been obsolete because things were changing so fast. And then one of our other clients weren't really well set up to handle the pandemic. They don't have patios. They just work like it's a diner, right? The diner chain. And they actually used Ops Analytica to help create several virtual brands during COVID. So they have a burger brand and a patty melt brand and a breakfast burrito brand. They're their own independent brands. You would have no clue where they're being cooked out of and they're being cooked out of a national diner chain, but they were able to invent those brands, but they were able to do all the research on how well the food was being cooked and was it being executed and all those kinds of things using our platform. People were shutting down in different states. They used us to do all that kind of stuff. How do you reopen your restaurant? How do you shut it down? All that stuff was being pushed through Ops Analytica because it was the most efficient way to do it. So did you make any big updates to your platform because of how business operations kept changing during the pandemic? Did you ship new versions of Ops Analytica? (laughs) So we're SaaS, right? So we release and it just updates automatically across the board. We didn't have to add any new functionality to handle what we were doing because it's all part of like Excel, right? If you decide to do a fancier spreadsheet in Excel, you don't have to get a new version of it. It's just you're unlocking more of its potential might be a better way of putting it. And so I would say people were unlocking more of our potential by doing all these different things on the platform, but we didn't have to change the platform for COVID. The one thing we were going to do, and we were hammering the thermometer guys for, we need an infrared forehead thermometer that's Bluetooth. And we were hammering them, get us a Bluetooth thermometer. They couldn't source them from China. They couldn't get them. So by the time they finally got them, the forehead thing had already gone by the wayside. They got them late 2020. 20, early 2021. And at that point, people weren't temping as much anymore. They were doing it, but it wasn't as big of a deal as it was, or it was perceived to be in April of 20 when nobody knew. And they were looking for any indicator of this guy's got COVID or not. So that would have been one thing we would have added support for a new thermometer. I mean, we might have actually done it, but I don't think they shipped any of them, to be honest with you, because at that point, no one cared. But if you were the Bluetooth thermometer guy, you had to sell that thing in April of 20. And if you missed that window, it was gone. Yeah. Well, another thing that the pandemic did was really change how consumers dine out and how often they dine out versus how often they cook at home and restaurants preparing meal kits and things like that. Have you seen those changes in consumer behavior stick around? Are we still seeing that right now or have they reverted back to the way they were before the pandemic? People are going out more, but I would suggest, and I have to go look for some numbers on this, but the percentage of off-prem dining, I mean, it was already going that way with the DoorDashes and the Uber Eats of the world. We were starting to see a larger business that, but then obviously that became the only channel for a while and it's going back down, but it's 
it's not going down as much. It's going to be higher than it was in February of 2020 to February of this year. I guarantee you that number is much higher. Now, what's going to be interesting is we have fuel prices that are going to be working against that. Because just so you guys know, if you go to the restaurant and you go order food to go at the restaurant, it'll be cheaper than if you go through the DoorDash portal. The restaurants make higher prices on their delivery platform to help eat up some of the percentage that they have to pay to the delivery companies. But now gas is getting so expensive, DoorDash is having to raise their fees so that they can pay the drivers more so that those guys don't even want to do it because gas is getting crazy expensive. So now what we are probably going to start seeing is off-prem, but less delivery, more I'll go pick it up myself because you'll be able to just go call the restaurant, go through their web portal and save a little bit of money there versus the convenience to have someone bring it to you all the time because those fees keep going up and up and up. And it will until gas levels out and goes back down to a reasonable price. Right. That's going to be interesting for everybody. I think. Absolutely. Well, one thing that we've seen from restaurants and fast casual and food service too, is that bringing loyal customers back really matter because it's a heck of a lot cheaper to bring a loyal customer back than it is to acquire a new customer. So does Ops Analytica or yourself have any knowledge of how customer loyalty is changing today, especially in the food service industry? Yeah, it's going down because there's so many competitive options. And that really actually feeds into our value prop. The whole reason for Ops Analytica, the data and all the decision-making stuff is amazing. But from a consumer and lover of restaurant food, control what you can control and deliver a consistent experience every time. That's what's missing in the big chain world of restaurants. You will always find independents or chains and they ebb and flow over time. I think there's always a 20% of the restaurant world that's crushing it. And then 80% is just getting by. I always feel like that Pareto principle ratio is pretty accurate for restaurants. But the biggest thing is this consistent experiences every time you go in is how you keep customers coming back to your restaurant, which let me be clear, consistently good experiences. Consistently bad experiences work the opposite way, obviously, but consistently good experiences that can meet the brand promise that's done through all your marketing and whatnot. That's what's going to keep people coming back. And so much of that consistency is just having a detail-focused culture at your location that goes in and says, we are going to control what we are supposed to control every time and we're going to be consistent about it. So yeah, if you can do that, which is what my platform was designed to do, help you be more consistent, help you not forget to do those little things you need to do. That's what keeps the loyalty at a specific location. But now we're all babies because we the internet and being able to vote and read reviews and everything's made us all a bunch of babies. And if anybody misses one step, we a lot of people will just nail them on Yelp or on YouTube or whatever, Facebook, Instagram. So people have so much of a voice now. We all expect everything to be perfect all the time. And we have so many choices because we do have all the restaurants in our area and we have the entire world of DoorDash and Uber that someone's willing to drive to bring us food that if you mess up, you don't know that it could be the smallest, dumbest little thing that might keep me from coming back for six months. So loyalty is so much harder today. And the numbers I've seen is that you get three tries, you get three subpar experiences. And on that third subpar experience, 
that's generally when most consumers are going to start looking at maybe changing their behavior. And that behavior is based on your number of occasions a month. So my wife's a five day a week Starbucks drinker in the morning. If she had three bad experiences in a row in three days, and then she might go, Hey, I'm not going to go back for a couple of days. Whereas a restaurant you might go to once a month, it might take you a quarter to figure out, hey, these guys have kind of screwed things up. And you never know when you have that subpar experience with a customer, if it was their first or their third, Mm -hmm. and they're not going to tell you. I mean, they might yell at you online, but they're not going to tell you. So it really is hard to figure out what you did wrong. And also because of the way sales work in restaurants, it's not like a straight graph like that. On a weekly basis, sales are always like this. They're going over a median line, but they're always going up and down because you had a big party and it skewed the number for Friday that week or whatever. So you can't see that your sales are going down unless you go on Excel and put a trend line on the graph to watch over time. And it might take six months, but a six month sales slide could take three years to get back because people are waiting six months or something to come back and try you again. So it's just crazy how it pans out and uh, very scary for the operator because they don't really ever know. Right. And it sounds like you've really been tracking very closely what's been happening in the industry now. And of course, your customers benefit from this knowledge. I'm curious if you could look into the future and tell us where you think the world is going with food service and with analytical data five, 10 years out. What's going to happen? I think the Chili's model, that fast, full service, but casual restaurant, I think that's going away. You're either going to go to a counter or a drive-through and somebody, depending on where you're at, depending on what level of food service you are, you're either going to get the food from your counter to self or someone will bring it to you and then they'll be fine dining. I don't think in five years you're going to go to that many restaurants anymore, especially in the big chain space. I'm not saying independence will be this way, but I think in the big chain space, you're going to either go to the bar or the counter and order or order on your phone or order on a kiosk and either a person or a robot is going to bring you your food. And I literally just two weeks ago was hanging out with a robot guy who's got food delivering robots and a POS added. And we were in an Asian restaurant in food hall in Denver. And I was watching these robots deliver food to people. And the robot comes up and goes, hi, I have your food. Did you have the rare burger? It's on the top shelf. And then it turns and then you just grab it off. Everything below fine dining is going to be in that realm. And by the way, We were in London in a gigantic bar with my family, big gin bar, and there was two bartenders working a food runner and some cooks. That's what you did there. You just walked up to the bar, ordered your food. Someone brought it to you. They came around once and offered more drinks and that was it because they just can't staff these restaurants. So they're going to be using more technology, more order at the table, more robots to deliver. And you're just going to get good meal, but you're just not going to have that level of service that you would have had in the seventies or eighties, where you would have had a server and they would have been bringing you cocktails and upselling you and all that stuff that's gone. And then you'll have the fine dining. And then from the analytics perspective, the restaurant industry was thrust into technology in two months during COVID and they just had to. So everybody who was on the fence about delivery and apps and all these different things got forced to do it very quickly. But now, and I would say this is true of all multi-unit operators, the status quo way that we've always done stuff, which is train everybody and back into what their KPIs are by looking at other lagging indicator numbers like sales and profits and costs and all that stuff. That's going away and it's going to be replaced with platforms like mine, operations management platforms, where you can get real-time data on what's actually happening operationally in your business so you can make better decisions and be faster. And I think 
we are rapidly approaching the time where the next big technological push is going to be in this operations management world, not just the human operations, which is what we focus on, but how do you then bring in robots and IoT, Internet of Things sensors, and the data that's being generated on the web, how do we bring that all into one platform that can then coordinate all of this different data and get the humans and the robots working together to accomplish tasks? And how can we take all this wealth of information that's hanging out there and utilize it to be better? And it's going to be all about how do we use data to be better at servicing guests and making decisions quicker and making the right decisions quicker too, because we actually are looking at some numbers and going, okay, that makes sense. Let's do that. If you go online and you tweet the bathroom at this restaurant is disgusting, someone at that restaurant should be able to hear about that tweet in real time because it's available and get a task to go clean the bathroom. They shouldn't have to go figure it out themselves. You gave them a big tip by tweeting that out. That data exists. We got to find a way to harness that data and then translate it into an actionable item for somebody at that store to do. And not at 1130 at night when 30 other guests have had a bad experience in that bathroom but do it within a half hour of when we got the tweet, give some real time to figure it all out and go solve it. So the next 20 customers don't get that bad experience. It is so fascinating hearing your perspectives, Tommy, and your experience and creating this platform and really, really fascinating. So thank you so much for being here. We do have one final question for you. What do you want your legacy to be? What would you like to be remembered for? I've had a really fun, adventurous life. We travel a ton, we do fun things, my wife and I and my family. And then from a business perspective, there's not a lot of people who have a stand-up comedy and tech founder background. So I would like it to be that I was like not afraid to try anything. Okay, whatever challenge or opportunity presented itself, I was always like, cool, let's go do that now. That would be the legacy that I'd like my kids to take from my life was we can do anything. It doesn't matter. Oh, and that a fine Cuban cigar is a wonderful thing. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> well, thank you guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show. Spark Plug is a wholly owned property of Snowshoe. All content, copyright, 2021, Spark Plug Media.